Yeah, Pastor Christopher found me in the book, <laughs> not the phone book, which we don't use anymore, but uh, Dallas Seminary book. He and I went to the same seminary, uh, but there is a slight difference, uh, about 45 years of, <laughs> between him and me, and I'm, I'm so glad that he's here with you and pray God's blessing on your church here in Moses Lake. Uh, this is my second time in Moses Lake. I was up here a few months ago for a prayer meeting at another church, a pastor's prayer meeting during the week. And that was a blessing to, to come here and uh, just to be with uh, believers. Um, you know, we have a, a problem in our lives, and we all have it. We, our, our tendency as human beings is to live by what we see. You know, Paul says, you know, we should walk by faith, not by sight. And as Christians, we learn to do that more and more, to walk by faith. But uh, still there's that tr strong tendency to, to just live our lives sort of independently of God. We, we make our own decisions about our, our family, our, our business, our, our school, uh, whatever we're, we're doing. And uh, sometimes, you know, we, we, we may have devotions in the morning, but uh, those devotions have very little effect on the rest of the day, and we're, we sort of forget about God and, and live our own lives. And, and that's just a natural tendency. It's, it's true of, uh, you know, all people and God's people, even God's people, even seminary graduates. It's, it's true of us, too. And, and so this passage of scripture we're going to look at today is going to, to help us, uh, to give us some motivation, maybe push us a little more in the direction uh, of walking by faith. And that, that's what my prayer is for us today, not just you, but me too. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. This is commonly called the parable of the unjust steward or the dishonest steward. Uh, a steward, by the way, is an old term for a manager, someone who has responsibility, uh, supervising uh, something, and he, he's paid for it, and that's his job. And maybe some of you were, were managers or are managers now. And, uh, and this is often called uh, the parable of the dishonest manager, because one thing you're going to notice as we read this is this manager was dishonest. But if you focus on the dis dishonesty in this story, you're going to miss the main point of the parable. Because Jesus, even though this manager that he tells about, and, and it is a story, it's not, it's not fact, it is fiction that Jesus is sharing, uh, uh, his point and his focus is not on the dishonesty of this person, but rather on the way he prepared for his future. And that he gives praise for, as we will see. So let's look at this parable now, and I'll read as you follow along. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he, that is the rich man, 
called him, the manager, uh, in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I will do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, I give it to you, sit down quickly and make it out for 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Lord, we thank you for this precious opportunity to share your word with the dear people here at Lakeview. And we pray that your spirit would work in each of our hearts, that you would speak to us through your word, and cause us to become more people of faith than we are right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm sure you found this story to be very interesting and, and, and baffling, too. And I think if we answer three questions we will get the point of this parable, and you will find those three questions there in the sermon outline in your bulletin. The first question that we, we need to ask, we, we can understand uh, about the rich man and the manager, who, and the rich man was over the manager, and apparently the manager was wasting possessions. He was showing himself either to be incompetent or, uh, or just not trustworthy. And, uh, and so he was, of course, being fired. And the firing did not take place immediately. He had a few days. And so knowing that he would soon be unemployed, this manager planned for his future 
And he did this by discounting the debts owed to his master in order to obligate these debtors to himself. So he would have friends after he was fired. Now, interpreters disagree as to whether this procedure that the manager was using, you know, saying, okay, you owe 800 gallons of olive oil, uh, you can pay off the debt if right now you give me 400 gallons back. And the second one, the thousand bushels of wheat, you, uh, your debt will be paid if you give me back 800 right now. Uh, the question is, was he canceling the interest payments of his master? And if that is true, these, in, uh, these interest payments were against the Jewish law because Jews were not to charge interest of fellow Jews. And since the Mosaic law prohibited Jews from charging interest to their fellow Jews, and you'll find that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 19, if the manager was canceling the instrument payments, then the manager was not being a dishonest. He was doing the right thing. He was being a hero. And that is one possibility, that the rich man was the evil guy because he was charging the interest he wasn't supposed to charge. And the manager was the hero because he was not charging the interest as the rich man wanted him to. That's one possibility. The other possibility is, is that the manager was actually giving away what really belonged to his master. And if that were the case, then he was being dishonest. So which view should we hold to? Well, what convinces me that the second view is correct is it says in verse 8, in Jesus' story, the master commended the dishonest manager. And so I think the second view is correct, that this manager was giving away what belonged to his master. Now, it's interesting, the master's response in verse 8. You would think he would have tried to kill the guy or kicked him out immediately. But it says that the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. He acted cleverly. And now we begin to see what the, the message of the parable is. The message here is not about being honest or dishonest. That is sort of a, what we call, uh, window dressing here. And the dishonesty is not important in the story. What is important is that this manager who had been fired was preparing for his future. He knew that he would need a place to live. 
He knew he would need food to eat. And the only way he could get that is by having friends. And that is why he did what he did. Now in verse 8, Jesus shares the message of this parable for us. And it is sort of hard to understand, but I think if you put your thinking caps on, you can get it with me. Jesus says, after telling the story, after declaring the manager to be clever, he says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So we have two groups of people here, don't we? The people of the world and the people of the light. And Jesus says the people of the world are more shrewd, are more clever in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And the question is, who are the people of the world and who are the people of the light? Well, I think you know who the people of the light are. The people of the light are those who know God. And in the time we live now, there's only one way to know the true God and that is by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, according to Scripture. Scripture prophesied that he would die and pay the penalty of our sin. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, make that very clear. And then he rose from the dead three days later to show us that he, he was who he truly said he was, the Son of God making him very unique because all the other religious leaders, when they died, like Mohammed and Buddha and others, they all remained dead. But Jesus is alive. Even now he's alive and at the right hand of the Father up in heaven. And so because we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are the people of the light. So who are the people of the world then? That he mentions earlier in the verse. Well, they are those who are not the people of the light. They are the ones who do not yet know God. Like this manager who is sort of portrayed in this story because of his dishonesty He's an unbeliever. And so they are the people of the world. But no, now notice what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the people of the world, the, the unbelievers, are more shrewd, are more clever in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. What Jesus is saying is the unbelievers are often more clever in the, in the affairs of the world and things like making money and, and uh, preparing for their future and 
And sometimes we believers are not so clever. And so he's sort of rebuking his disciples here. You'll notice that uh, he is speaking to his disciples. He says that back in verse 1. So he's speaking to his followers here. And he's saying sometimes the unbelievers are more clever than you. And it's a rebuke to believers. And that rebuke is true even today. For us, living 2,000 years later, the rebuke is this. The unbelievers, they have a future. And that is a future on this earth. Because after they die, they, they will no longer have a future that is in their control. Their spirits will go to eternal hell. But they are preparing for their future with what they have left. And, and, and of course, for them, what, what is their future? Their future is to, to have a nice house, uh, to be comfortable, to have plenty of food, to make a lot of money so they can do what they like to do. If they live in this area, oh, we, we need to have an RV and we need to, to do, be able to go do this and fish and hunt and, and all the wonderful things that, that we do. And, uh, and that is the future of the unbeliever. And the unbeliever prepares his life. He starts out working when he's in his teens and in his 20s and he, he works all his life to get to the point when, that when he is 60 or 65, 67, whatever it is now, that he'll be able to retire and then enjoy playing golf or just sitting in his nice house in the wintertime in front of the fire sipping a good cup of coffee. And he just thinks of his life as preparing for that. And many people are good at it. They have nice houses. They have everything they need. They have a, you know, if they're into stocks, they have a big stock portfolio or a big mutual fund or bank account, whatever. They have it all. What is our future? I think probably most of you here have put your trust in Christ. What is our future? Let me tell you something. Our future is not here. Now, you, you may think about having all these nice things too, just like the unbeliever. But your future is not here. Life is but a vapor. And our physical lives will soon pass away. Our future is with God. Our future is in heaven. And that future, as the Bible teaches in many places, will last for all eternity. That is where 
Your future is if you believe in Jesus Christ. Now, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying the unbeliever often prepares for his future better than the believer prepares for his future. What we often do is we prepare for our future just like the unbeliever does, and we don't think about our real future. That is in heaven. Now Jesus, he tells us here in verse 9 what we need to do about our future, how you can prepare for your future. And that's, of course, what he wants us to do. So he gives us an exhortation in verse 9, a command. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, when that, that worldly wealth is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now we read that, it's a little obscure at first, isn't it? <laughs> what Jesus, no, what are, you, what are you saying here, you know, exactly? Well, let, let's just think through it now. He says to us, disciples, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So that when that wealth is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What are eternal dwellings? Heaven. Eventually, the new heaven and the new earth. That it will be our dwelling place, the new Jerusalem that's described in the book of Revelation. And Jesus said, what you need to do is use your worldly wealth, or in other words, use your resources. Now, we're, I think Jesus would be good with this. It's not just money or possessions. We often talk about the three T's, right? Our time our talent, and our treasure. We should use what is available to us, and we usually summarize it in those three points, time, talent, and treasure, to make friends, just as the manager did, to make friends for ourselves so that when it is gone, and, and someday money will be gone, it's all going to be burned up, all these possessions. In fact, the world as we know it now is all going to be burned up, according to 2 Peter chapter 3. And what will be left after it's all burned up? What will be left? are the souls 
of people. People who are living right now, people who live in the past, people who will live in the future. And so what is important, ladies and gentlemen, are the souls of people. That we make friends with them, that through our relationships with these friends, that they too come to know God, so that when you go to heaven someday, because you believed and trusted in Jesus, you will have a welcoming committee waiting for you. You were their friend who shared Christ with them, and they will be welcoming you into eternal dwellings. So here Jesus shows us what is important in life. It's not the stuff around us. It's not getting a bigger pile of stuff than the next guy. That's not where it's at, really. Because all that's going to be gone someday. But what's going to last are the souls of people. And what Jesus wants us to do is use the resources that we have, our, our time, our talent, and our treasure too, to make friends, to build relationships with people so that they can come to know Christ. And when you go to heaven someday, there will be a welcoming committee for you. That is what is important and really nothing else. The only thing that matters is people. Peggy and I returned to the United States a little over five years ago after being in Hong Kong and Asia for 36 years. I don't like to use the term retire because I'm a servant of Christ. I prefer the term refire. And that's sort of what I've done. And Peggy, too. We don't think of ourselves as being retired people. We're trying to remain as active as we can. Of course, we move a little more slowly. We talk a little more slowly. And we struggle a bit. But God still has a purpose for us to reach people. And God has placed us in a neighborhood on a cul-de-sac in Kennewick 
where there's a lot of darkness. Our neighborhood is known as the place where stolen cars are found. And we see evidence of uh, drug addiction in the pe some of the people in our neighborhood. And sometimes there is a little bit of violence, not too bad yet, but people, you know, getting in fights and things like this, mostly verbal, thankfully, at this point, but they could get worse later. We, we, we bought the house we have unseen. Our daughter found it for us. And we committed it to the Lord and said, Lord, you put us where you want us to. And so now our purpose is to try to, to reach out to these people, as, as the scripture says here, to make friends. And it's hard, you know, because a lot of people in our community, they're not too interested in God. They're just, some of them are interested in surviving, some people are interested in getting richer and more comfortable. They're not really interested in, in knowing God. And so we have a, a long way to go with our neighbors. But we're praying. You know, our, our, our tendency too sometimes is, uh, God, you know, I'm, I'm old now and I, I just, I just want to be comfortable, you know. <laughs> just have the simple pleasures in life. I don't have, need to have a lot, but just the simple pleasures in life. Quietness around me. Boy, we get a lot of quietness around the 4th of July. I feel like I'm in Ukraine, you know, when, when uh, the 4th of July comes. We're like a war zone. But, you know, my tendency is to go back for that comfort and say, I, you know, I've, I've done my bit. You know, I was a missionary for 30 years. God, leave me alone. This will be... Just relax and enjoy life a little bit. But I know that's not what God wants for me. And what he wants me to do is live for people. The people around me. Especially the people around me who do not yet know Christ. Now we have our neighbors on one side who know Christ already. And we had some neighbors just move in, are just moving in this week. And we think they may know Christ because we, the daughter or the, the wife told us that she graduated from a Christian school. So we're, you know, we, we may have neighbors like this, but, you know, one door down. We have a guy who is very nice to us and very appreciative to us, but he's got a lot of problems. He just had a stroke, and he's in bad shape physically. He's having trouble seeing now, and he's a hoarder. And you go into his house, and it is just a total mess filled with all this stuff.
And we're trying, you know, I, I'm trying to, to reach out to this guy. And I know the other day, I, 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 I you know, driving in my car, he's outside doing something, and, and I think the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Dave, go, and, go over and talk to him. And I said, well, he can't see me, and I, I really don't feel like talking to him right now, so I just walked into the house and didn't go and talk to him. And the next day, I go to my men's Bible study at church, and this, you know, this preacher described that very situation where instead of going to see a neighbor, you, you sort of, yeah, you know, I got better things to do and whatever, and you make an excuse and you... You don't do what God speaks you to. Well, so it was funny. I, I, I drove back from the Bible study, and there he was again out there. He couldn't see me. But I, I said, okay, Lord, I, I get the message. And so I went over and, and talked to him, and he told me he needed some help with, with uh, reading because he can't read anymore, and he needed me to read something for him. And I, I told him, yeah, we're willing to do that. And He's told me he's willing to go to church with, with us in the future. And the problem is we're, we're sort of all over the place right now. We're here next week. We're in Idaho next week. And, and I'm looking for the, the time we can, we can take him to church. But we're, you know, we're trying to build a relationship with this man, even though, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't naturally like to get involved in other people's messes. And often when you love people and you reach out to people, the problem means you're going to get into their mess. And I, I just trust as I do that that I'm going to have the grace of God to keep my eyes on Jesus as I go through that. The next door down from him, we call it the junkyard house because the people there just let their house completely go. and They have you know, five cars out front, all broken down, none of them work, and, and uh, that kind of thing, and, and the house hasn't been painted in 30 years, and, and this kind of thing. We're trying to reach out to them, too, though they're very, very private people, and it's hard to, to get into conversation with them. Though they're, you know, superficially friendly, hard to get, to get going with them. And then Peggy's reaching out to the lady next to them, over 80 years old, tough lady from Kentucky. And uh, she's had, a, 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 I think, a very difficult life. And Peggy is befriending her, hoping, and, and she's been to our senior fellowship potlucks and, and a couple of them, and we're hoping that this lady eventually will, will come to know Christ before she passes. And so this is what God wants us to do, to get involved in people's lives. And I know it's hard, and I know it goes against the grain, but this is why we're on this earth. As Jesus says, to use the resources we have to make friends so that we'll be welcomed into heaven someday. Not just by Jesus, not just by God. That'll be glorious, of course. But by others.
people that we reached out to. Now my question is for you today, for you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, are you doing this? Are you trying to make friends? Are you reaching out? Even when it costs, even when it is messy, are you willing to reach out? I hope that you will have a wonderful welcoming committee someday. Because that will be the most important moment of your life. When you stand before Jesus, when you stand before God. Will there be a welcome committee here? And the way you can change that, Christian, is by reaching out to people around you and showing love to them, showing concern, making friends. I'm an introvert. It's very hard for me to do this. But I know God wants me to do it. And so I try. Not perfectly, and I mess up. But I try, and I pray for people. I hope you are doing the same thing. If you're not yet a believer, just ignore everything I've said <laughs> up to now, because this, what I've been mainly sharing today is for people who are already disciples of Jesus Christ. But you can come to Christ yourself right now, today, by putting your faith in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity really isn't a religion Christianity is a relationship with God that transforms us and energizes us to be his instruments in reaching the world. And God can do this with you if you want him to. None of us are good enough to please God. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's standard of righteousness, so none of us pass by ourselves. But God has made a way for us to know him, and that way is the Lord Jesus Christ. And today you can put your trust in him, if you haven't already. And then when you know God and know Jesus, then you will see your life change. And you will be doing some amazing things you thought you could never do. But you have to know God first. You have to know Jesus first. You don't come with good works. You don't say, God, I'll do this, I'll do that. Don't, don't do that. Just say, God, I come. I am nothing, and I need you. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what you need to say to God and put your trust in Jesus. He died and paid for your sins. And if you put your trust in him and him alone, you can be forgiven of your sin. If you haven't done that, I hope you will do that today. Come talk with me or talk with one of the people here at the church you know. We would love to share this truth with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. 
And thank you for this parable, which is sort of hard to understand at first. But what a message it has for us. Because we, we know we're prone to wander, as the song says. We're prone to leave the God we love and, and just uh, live a life independently and try to enjoy life on our, on our own, forgetting you. And Lord, we, we know that you work in our lives. And, and as we grow in the knowledge of your son, that gradually, step by step, you change us into people of faith, people who trust in you. So work in our lives, Father. Continue to transform us. Lead us and guide us to be your instruments in this world that is so needy. And we pray that even today we might touch someone who doesn't know you and become their friend and help them to come to know you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.